1: I'm Sarah. And I'm Beth. We're lawyers, mothers, and co-hosts of the bipartisan podcast, Pantsuit Politics.
0: We have more in common than divides us.
1: In a world that defaults to false dichotomies, we explore the messiness of living wisely.
0: The choices, trade-offs, priorities, and grace of living a nuanced life. Hello, everyone. Welcome to The Nuance Life.
1: We are so excited about this new format. More importantly, we're excited that y'all are excited about the new format. You are sending the best advice questions and continuing to send the best commemorations. Thank you so much for being a part of this podcast and helping us put together content that really grows and encourages and empowers this community. At least that's our goal and our mission. So here's another episode of The New Format. We're going to kick it off with some cultural conversation, some things we've been thinking about outside politics. I've been thinking about clutter. I don't know if clutter is the right word. I've been thinking about systems because what happened was a dear friend of mine was talking about how she never entertains because she feels like her house is too messy. And so the first thing we did was have a conversation about you got to lower your standard for what your house needs to be at to host and ever so slightly higher your standard for what your house that should be at every day. And then you kind of meet in the middle and you can entertain more, entertain more spontaneously. She was like, I don't know. So I went over and I helped her for several hours do my absolute favorite thing, which is figure out why your space is not serving you. And you got this opportunity too, Beth, right?
0: Only without a third party. (laughs) I like the way you said you got this opportunity. Yes, I did in spades. We replaced all of the flooring in our house, except in our basement, the week before Christmas, which Is was a choice interesting
1: timing. Yeah, it was. It was. It was interesting.
0: It was a Christmas gift to ourselves in a lot of ways because one, we had carpet on the first and second floors of our house, and we built our house twelve years ago, and this carpet was supposed to last eight years ish. Okay, and so twelve years later, we're getting around to replacing it. We put like an engineered hardwood on the first floor and then recarpeted the second floor. It feels so much better. It just feels better. Like, the house smells better. The air feels fresher. It's just really good. But the part of it that I didn't anticipate is that it kind of feels like we moved out of our house and then moved back in. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And it's astonishing how much work it (laughs) takes. (laughs) To replace the flooring in your house if you've done this before. I'm sure you're just nodding along in wisdom. It was a really nice chance for us to reset, though. Our girls are pretty much out of the baby stages. You know, Ellen is four. She's going to kindergarten in the fall. So we got to look at our house through the lens of a family with young children, but not toddlers. And think, how are we using this space and what works and what doesn't work? We got rid of a lot of things that we did not need. We rearranged furniture. So yes, same. We looked at the house and said, what is working for us today? And what used to work for us but doesn't anymore? What has never worked? And let's start fixing it. And I'll tell you, we're still not completely through that exercise, but we've made a ton of progress. And, and our house really does feel better to me than maybe it ever has. It just
1: brings me so much joy to ask these questions. I particularly like to be the person who just is the fresh eyes and shows up and is like, "Uh, why do you have it like this? This doesn't make any sense. And which is what it kind of did with my friend. I mean, one of the biggest things I told her is like her trash cans were far. They're just far. Like the outside trash cans, it cannot be that much work to throw things away or recycle things. You know what I mean? Like if you, in order to stay on top of what it's like to have young kids in your house, especially like kids in elementary school, breaking in a bunch of paper and do not like you have to have a really nice, clear path for things to get the heck out of your house. And so like that was a big thing I helped with her. But I, that's something I'm always thinking about with my own house. Like we have this little corner in our kitchen that I like just love to mess with. It is not a big corner. For a while, we had a little bitty trampoline there, like one of the little indoor trampolines so that Felix could do a little therapy, people could burn some energy, and then it stopped being used. So I'm like, mm, okay, well, that's got to go. Then I just put a armchair there, an armchair and a little side table. We call it the kitchen chair. Because I like to sit there when Nicholas is cooking or in the mornings and talk to him. And sometimes I don't want to sit on a bar stool. And I've always loved the idea of, like, soft, comfy chairs in a kitchen. And I'm just loving it. Now, the kitchen chair won't be there forever. But I love being able to think, like, well, what would work right here, right now? Or what do I need to change because we're not using this space or because this space is filling up with the truest sign of misuse, which is clutter? And how can I refresh it? How can I make it new? I just, I moved my desk around in my office over the break. I just, God, it brings me
0: so much joy. I definitely agree with you about the trash. I want to circle back to that for a second because mm-hmm. we really want to compost. And we have a, an area behind our house that goes back for about two acres. It's pretty big. And we originally thought, well, let's put a compost pile like quite far from our house because of the aroma and animals and all of that. Well, we were not successful because that's too mm-hmm. far to walk too far. every time you need to take scraps out. And so we bought a compost bin that keeps stuff spinning and that keeps it contained. And we just put it right beside the recycling and the trash containers outside so that every time we're taking stuff out, it's all right there together. It makes an enormous difference. It's totally easy to take stuff, you know, to that pile. Um, So I agree with that. I also think that it's nice to look at your house through the lens of, we can change. Just because this yes. was here doesn't mean it has to live there. This room yes. doesn't always have to be for this purpose. When you come up our stairs, we have kind of an open area that we just refer to as the loft. It's it's really a nice kind of second family room. And now that both girls are big enough to play board games, that's something that was really important in my family growing up. I want it to mm-hmm. be a huge part of our family's culture. And so we have really arranged this space around like the ultimate in board games. Games and coloring and just sitting and doing activities together as a family. And so all of our board games are really nicely on this open bookshelf where, you know, both girls can reach everything. It's just really nice. And it's not something that I ever would have done, I don't think, if I hadn't been forced to, like, pick up everything in my house everywhere and approach it as a blank canvas. I just
1: cannot recommend enough walking into your house like you're a stranger and thinking, <laughs> what is working, what isn't? If there's an area you're avoiding, why? Why are you avoiding it? Oh, God, I just,
0: I find it so energizing to think through things like that. This is much less about efficiency and systems and process, but I want to throw in my recent learning that having the top drawer of the nightstand on your side of the bed be something that brings you total delight Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, can't be oversold. Mm-hmm. So I have filled that drawer on my side of the bed now with essential oils. So every time I open it, it smells amazing. It's like instant hit of relaxation. I have probably approaching. 40 bottles of essential oil in there they're tiny they're neatly organized but it just creates this wonderful sensation every time i open it i keep in there just all things that i love i love to have some lotion right by my bed i love to have some chapstick right by my bed i have this wonderful little lavender eye pillow that's there before i put that stuff in this drawer it was all things that i might need to grab for the kids in the instance of a middle-of-the-night situation. Mm. And making that switch has really been good for me in a lot of ways. (laughs) I think it's been really nice to be like, there has to be room for Beth, not just Mommy, in this house. And it's going to be the top drawer of the nightstand. So highly recommend that. Listen, I have some very intense morning and
1: evening Rituals that I will not apologize for. And my bedside table is a reflection of that. I journal in the evening and at night. I have books. I have prayer books. I have poetry books. I have lotions and potions and oils and eye masks. I got some prayer beads, earplugs, you name it. (laughs) If it is a component of a nighttime or morning ritual, you best believe I have it on my bedside table. I love it so much.
0: Well, I hope that you all are finding space in your homes to consider what is working for you and what is not working for you. What kind of culture you want to create in your family at this particular time, knowing that this particular time will not last forever. Mm
1: -hmm, And if you mm -hmm.
0: have recommendations that you've not seen anywhere else, just moments when you think, I've really got something here. I'll give you an example of one of those. The way that I store my spices, I just think it's brilliant. I put the spices that I usually use together in one recipe in little plastic containers so that I'm just pulling out all of the Italian spices together and then I slide them back in the cabinet. If you have little systems like that that work really well for you and you want to share them with us, we are all ears. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry.
1: Speaking of a time that will not last forever, Tiffany wrote us to ask if we have any advice for how to navigate the emotional roller coaster that is trying to conceive. She's been trying for four months and feels disheartened every month when the results aren't what she'd hoped. She says, my husband tries so hard to help me put it in perspective, but he can't truly understand how consuming the whole thing is. He's not the one who has to sneak an ovulation test in the middle of the workday without anyone noticing or pay attention to every little fluctuation in his body hoping for a clue as to what's going on inside or watch his diet afraid to consume anything on the pregnancy no-no list just in case. Thank goodness to Emily Oster helping me weed out the unnecessary recommendations or it'd be really miserable.
0: Tiffany says, until the past year or so, I'd always had it solidified in my own head that I probably wouldn't be able to become pregnant. My body has never seemed to cooperate with me, so it feels that much more frustrating that I'm upset over something I absolutely saw coming. It's not as though it'll stop us from having a family either. I've always known I wanted to adopt at some point. This shouldn't be throwing me so much. I'm just so tired of not having anything that resembles control over my own emotions. Any tips you've got for handling this time would be so appreciated.
1: Congratulations, Tiffany. You are 100% normal. I can't imagine a better description of what that process is like than what you've just described. You are not alone in any way, stretch, or form. And that roller coaster of emotions is not only normal, but a good introduction to what it's
0: like to be a parent. There is societal failure surrounding tiffany's message too i think we individualize the process of becoming pregnant to a point Mm -hmm. that is absurd Mm -hmm. we individualize the process of being pregnant to a point that is absurd you know having to sneak the ovulation test just indicates we're, we're just a mess culturally around fertility and birth and pregnancy the idea that you have to wait until you're so pregnant, like you can't tell people in that first month or so in case something happens, which is the time when you would really need societal support around what's going Mm -hmm. on. And so I think part of what has to make this so difficult is the loneliness that we create around it because we're all uncomfortable talking about things like ovulation. Stephanie, I just want to say one, I'm kind of mad for you and everybody else that you have to be the person who is shouldering so much pressure, and we know medically that all that pressure then makes it even harder to conceive, and then you get in this loop of, just like you're saying, I'm upset that I'm upset, and I just don't think any of that is your fault, Tiffany. That's what I want you to know. Well, I will say this,
1: because, you know, I'm always the historical perspective side of Pantsu Politics. I do think that we have come so Far in talking about conceiving and infertility and miscarriages and pregnancy loss, we are not there. But I think that just the change from when I was in college to when I was first trying to conceive to now, with the openness with which people will talk about it. And I say that because, you know, the key I think to getting through this time period is not only knowing that you're not alone, but finding some people to talk about it. Your husband doesn't understand. Bless them. This is going to be a if you should conceive or if you should adopt. I mean, there's just parts of this journey that he's not going to understand. And so always finding friends that have been there before or in the midst of it is so incredibly important. I know during my own pregnancy loss and afterwards when I was trying to conceive I had friends that were on this journey with me. I had friends that had recently experienced late term pregnancy loss. and just there is no replacement for someone who literally understands what you're going through because that type of support and that type of advice and that type of sort of shouting back from the
0: other side is just priceless. Just to contrast a little bit, I will say that sometimes. Connecting with people who are going through the same thing can also be challenging if they experience it in a different way than you, and our expectations get really high, like, oh, I'm gonna Mm. be completely understood. And if we're not completely understood, if we're Mm -hmm. in a slightly different place than someone else, so true. That can feel really bad. One thing that I can share, not related to waiting for pregnancy, but just in general, when you said I'm I'm tired of not having anything that resembles control over my own emotions, I have decided through the process of getting older and I have a long way to go and I'll maybe decide something different later. But right now at this moment in my life, it seems to me that control over emotions is a fiction and Mm -hmm. it is more helpful to invite those emotions just all the way in and sort of give them names and adopt some shorthand with yourself as you recognize those emotions coming up. And it's more like Consistently managing this tea party going on inside of you than disinviting someone (laughs) from the party. Because grief comes along in the most inconvenient times. You know, it's like a visitor that rings a doorbell in the middle of the day. It is not helpful, but you just can't decide that you're not going to have it. Or anxiety, or feeling just shame, or not enough, or whatever. They're just, they're coming. And feeling this tension with your own body is something that a lot of us experience in a lot of different forms. And as much as I would like to say today, January, whatever, I decide I will no longer have a tension with my body. That's just I might as well be mad at stars in the sky. And so I think it is it is good to just name as you're naming, Tiffany, what you're feeling and and start to say, okay, this is what I'm feeling Here I am, me, Tiffany, and these emotions. How can we all coexist peacefully? And I hope that that will give you at least a little bit of softness around what you're feeling. Not that you don't feel it anymore, but that you can be gentler in how you experience all those emotions.
1: I totally agree. There was a major shift in my life when I realized that my emotions were going to come The only thing I had control over was how I was going to either react or respond to them. And instead of thinking how I feel in this moment is how I feel forever and is totally reflective of the entirety of the reality I'm experiencing, realizing that emotions are like data points and they're important. Doesn't mean that they're a complete picture of what's going on and like taking a breath in that. I love the way Elizabeth Gilbert talks about this when she talks about the creative process and when fear shows up and she says, I can't stop fear from coming. So I welcome fear, and I say, hi, fear. I see you. I know you're here. You may not drive the car, but you are welcome to sit in the back seat quietly. You know, just that sort of awareness And a lot of grace and forgiveness for yourself and all these emotions that come into play, especially with something as intense as trying to conceive, is a really good place to start. And I think the other thing that I would just say to you, Tiffany, is you are on a journey that you hope will ultimately end in conception or adoption. And I hope that too. But... You know, the most empowering thing that I've learned as I've gotten older and gone through pregnancy loss and grief and parenting and all these different things is I don't need to end up at the spot I was aiming for to have gained something along the way. And that sounds trite. And it sounds like, oh, of course, the journey is more important than the destination, but it's so unbelievably true there is a depth of understanding about yourself and what you're capable of and what life can reveal to you that you can only gain through challenges like this and it sucks i really wish there was a shortcut to you know getting older And gaining wisdom, but you will be more wise and more empathetic and have a depth of understanding because of this experience, whether or not it ends in the place you want it to or not. And I think that can really help if you can just zoom out. I love the thought experiment where you sit down and you imagine speaking to yourself 10 years in the future. And I find it really helpful and very difficult times of transition, I'm um, not because I have like an extensive conversation with myself. I don't quite have that imagination, but just picturing an older, wiser Sarah who knows things I don't know and who gained that knowledge through this journey that I can't quite see the end of yet,
0: is is really helpful. The one other thing that I will offer in addition to that, which I think is so true. I know many of the people listening follow yoga with Adrian. Mm -hmm. And she often will just in the middle of a yoga practice, like kiss her hand or kiss her knees or just like do some kind of completely affectionate gesture toward her own body. And observing that and engaging in it myself absolutely makes me a better parent. And so I think you are at the beginning of the journey of becoming who you want to be as a mother in whatever form that ultimately takes. And the more you can learn to love yourself through this process, the better you will be able to love that eventual child in your life again, in whatever form it takes. And that also sounds trite and difficult, but I think it is, it proves itself out to me every single day. The more Mm -hmm. I am able to love my own body, especially the parts of my own body that I feel in some ways just really ran away from me because of motherhood, (laughs) the more I just love that and embrace it, the better I am able to extend all kinds of grace and support to my kids. So I hope that that can be a little tiny piece of this story for you, too. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. It's January 2020. The year 2020 shows up a lot in science fiction. A lot of people predicted that by now we'd be teleporting to work or living on Mars, and a lot of those predictions were wrong. The truth is, we'll always get the future wrong, which is why we need to get life insurance right. That's where Policy Genius can help. Policy Genius makes finding the right life
1: insurance a breeze. In minutes, you can compare quotes from the top insurers to find your best price. You could save $1,500 or more a year by using Policy Genius to compare life insurance policies. Once you apply, the Policy Genius team will handle all the paperwork and red tape. And Policy Genius doesn't just make life insurance easy. They can also help you find the right
0: home and auto insurance or disability insurance. So if your science fiction dreams for 2020 still haven't become science fact, don't get discouraged. Get life insurance. It just takes a few minutes to find your best price and apply at PolicyGenius.com. PolicyGenius will always get the future wrong. Better get life insurance right.
1: This week, a listener wrote and shared her insights about grief after the loss of her mother-in-law, in In particular, how her thoughts have changed since her own father passed away 10 years ago. She says, After my dad passed, I felt like our family had done the process well, whatever that means. He died the way he wanted, and the ceremony was great. This time, because I was on the sidelines as a supporter, I did not have that feeling. We went from one crisis to another, and my sister-in-law was extremely upset that her mother wouldn't fight. Grief, like life, looks different for everyone. At first, it is very physical. We both felt fluish after the funeral, numbness wore off, my temper was quick, and I made sure to ask for grace from the people at work. But I constantly fell into a trap of thinking it should be over now, that once we got to
0: our vacation, we would both feel okay. Well, we aren't. The biggest struggle for me is no acknowledgement that this was my loss and grief, too, that I need some care and understanding. But I won't be able to articulate this right now because there would be no understanding. I just need to meditate, exercise, sleep, and eat right. If you encounter someone who is lost an in-law, just acknowledge that it is a loss for that person. Just saying this is your loss, too, means so much to me.
1: First of all, as the mother of three sons, hearing this listener describe the grief for her mother-in-law and what a loss that was for her, it really touched me. I thought that was... Really powerful. And I think she's right. I think we sort of forget because we're so consumed by comforting the child who's lost a parent that the spouses and partners are also experiencing a loss.
0: I spend a lot of time in my life thinking about how we assess who deserves to grieve different people because of Mm -hmm. my personal experiences. And I think that this message from our listener so illustrates how much we put grief in particular boxes. We talked about this with Megan Devine when she was on our show about her excellent book, It's Okay That You're Not Okay. And I thought she did a beautiful job of saying, you know, we don't need to assess, you know, who gets to grieve and who doesn't get to grieve and how they get to grieve and when and for how long and at what level of intensity. And I just want everyone to adopt that mindset because we do make it infinitely harder on each other when we say or project things like, well, why are you so upset or Mm -hmm. why are you taking this so hard or hasn't it been a couple of months or whatever it is that we put out that is really just announcing, I believe in your place, I would not feel the way that you're feeling and therefore the way you're feeling must be wrong. Mm Hmm. Mm Hmm.
1: Man, we do that a million different ways. I've seen that so many times in my life. Um, I felt that. And I think that's you see that so often with survivor's guilt and with all types of different manifestations of how we deal with trauma, because, uh, spoiler alert, we don't will deal with trauma very well. <laughs> we get so many parts of this wrong. But it's people like this listener sharing their perspective and God being so clear eyed. Um, as they're walking through this process, I think that we just keep getting closer and closer to, you know, the paradise where
0: we all have the wisdom of Megan Devine. I also love this description of the physicality of grief. Mm -hmm. Just a couple of short sentences. And I think this listener so brilliantly described how our bodies do process a lot of emotion for us. And sometimes we don't recognize it or we question like, gosh, why is it that I'm crashing right now? Well. Because you're going through a lot and the brain doesn't exist by itself. Sometimes it feels like it does, but it's connected to everything else. And so I just think it's helpful when someone articulates, I felt fluish after the funeral. Okay, Mm -hmm. now now we all know that is normal. That's a normal Mm -hmm. reaction to grief. Uh, And it's normal to be short tempered. And it's normal even we, you know, we talked at the beginning of this episode about all the stuff we've done to our house. You know, my husband and I have had a couple of days where we're like, gosh, we're both really sort of short tempered with each other. It's because we're exhausted from this. (laughs) And that Mm -hmm. is okay. Um, Just seeing those patterns in ourselves and how everything connects and recognizing that all of that stuff belongs with us. I think it, it creates a little bit of ease around things that are very, very hard when we're able to see where they're coming from. I don't think we give enough sort of credence
1: to the physical repercussions of emotional release. Like, I think about whether that's the emotional release of a the death of a loved one after a long struggle, if that is the emotional release of decluttering. Like, I believe Marie Kondo when she says people will, like, vomit after she's left their house. Like, your body stores all that stuff. That's why I love burnout and the work of the Nagoski sisters. You store all that stuff in your body, man. And so if you give your body a chance to release it, Or if you don't and your body's like, I'm going to find a way to release it, you're going to see it.
0: It's so true. Well, the loss of the mother-in-law is absolutely your loss. And we hope that you and your family are continuing to support each other through this grief. And I hope you're finding more support than you did initially. And I hope all of you out there know that uh, you are allowed to feel whatever you feel around death. And you don't have to be a certain level of relationship to the person who died to feel it. Thank you all so much for joining us for this episode of The Nuanced Life. Please continue to send your wonderful questions about looking for advice and your commemorations. We so appreciate the trust that you exhibit for us when you send us these notes. And until next time, keep it nuanced, y'all.
1: Garvin produces The Nuance Life.
0: Elise Knapp is our managing director. The
1: Nuance Life is listener-supported. Go to patreon.com slash
0: Life. For $5 each month, you'll receive an entire bonus episode of The Nuance Life. Dante Lima is the composer and performer of our theme music. Dylan Garvin is the composer
1: and performer of our ad music. For more information about The Nuance Life and to connect with us through our weekly email, visit pantsuitpoliticsshow.com.